Welcome to Simple Truth, the teaching ministry of Pastor Eddie Turner and Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Through the practical and simple explanation of God's Word, Pastor Eddie has taught the Word of God to thousands of people around the world. The following message is from a recent service at Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Let's join Pastor Eddie as he shares simple truths from God's Word. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 6. You know this story. The woman was convinced. How many of you know that's not hard to do for a woman to be convinced? All right, it's a woman's prerogative. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. You know, it dawned on me this week as I was just reading this passage over again that really, Adam didn't have a choice. Make God mad at you or make your wife mad at you? Which one are you going to make? Which one would you rather live with? Well, Adam, we see he'd rather have God mad at him than the woman mad at him. How many of you, your wife has cooked for you and you didn't like it? You love it, whether you love it, you love it, you love it, you love it. You would never, she would never give you something to eat and you turn your nose up at it. So he really, he was put in a bad place here. At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Verse 8, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. Notice this next phrase, I was afraid. I was afraid. That's where fear was introduced to mankind. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God adds. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Now turn to the New Testament. How many brought your Bibles? Turn to the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6. And let's tie another scripture together with this, and you'll see pretty quickly how these two tie together. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. The Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is writing. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on. Everybody say, put on. Put on on what, Paul? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. This morning I want to continue our lesson that we started last week on the topic, never leave the house naked. Never leave the house naked. How many of you would agree that it's not wisdom? How many of you would agree that it's not wisdom to leave your house naked in the mornings? It's not, it's not wisdom. Being unclothed in public nowadays will present all types of challenges for you. So it's not wisdom to leave the house naked. Yet, unfortunately, unfortunately, listen now, we Christians rush out of our houses daily to face another day in a sin-cursed world, and we are spiritually nude and naked. 
We, we, we just leave the house and don't even think about suiting up with the armor of God, putting on the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because we face our world, our challenges, our difficulties, our temptations, spiritually naked, we become victims instead of the victors. We're victims. Too many Christians, are we too many Christians? Too many of us are walking around as victims, been beat up, been defeated, been trapped, been tested, failed, continue to fail, when we should be the victors instead of the victims. We find our first reference to nakedness in the book of Genesis. Adam and Eve have been placed there by God. Last week I told you this, I'll repeat it. Adam and Eve created by God. They were positioned in a place of blessing by God. Equipped and gifted by God. Bestowed authority upon by God. Given an assignment for perpetual ongoing blessing by God. Yet through disobedience, Adam and Eve surrendered everything that God had gave to them. Adam and Eve willfully disobeyed God. And that opened the door for sin and sickness to rule over mankind and over the earth. Look again at Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, verse 7, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now it's often overlooked. It's often overlooked. But the first curse that came upon mankind for his disobedience was not physical death. I shared this briefly with you last week. The first curse that came upon mankind when he sinned was not physical death. In fact, the Bible tells us that Adam lived to be 930 years old. God had created mankind so finely tuned. Did you know that your forefathers were created so finely tuned, living in a perfect environment, God created mankind to live forever. God never created you and I to die. He created our forefathers to live forever. How is it possible that a mortal man could live forever on this earth? Well, you have to understand, the way the earth is now is not the way God created it. Remember, in the garden of God, sin and its effects had not entered. Sickness and disease were non-existent in the garden of God. God placed within the garden everything man needed To live a blessed and long life. God loved us so much, He created us, mankind, and He put us in a place, an environment that was perfect, and gave us food to eat that had life-given properties, and we were supposed to live in a wonderful, perfect environment with the best of everything forever. That was God's original plan for mankind. You say, really? Oh yeah, look at Genesis chapter 2. Turn back to Genesis chapter 2, verse number 8. Look at this. This is very interesting. Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground. Trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life. Everybody say tree of life. He placed the tree of life and... The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
Now skip down to verse number 15. Go down to verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except you can eat everything that's here, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Have you noticed that mankind was was prohibited from eating only one tree? He could eat anything he wanted. Just one tree you can't eat of. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse number 16. But the Lord God warned him, you may eat You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So God said you can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but you can eat of everything else, including the tree of life. So think about it. God creates man perfect. He puts him in an environment that's perfect without sin, without sickness. And he says, you can eat of a tree that when you eat of it, its fruit has such life-giving properties, it will cause you to live forever. It's called the tree of life. So man could literally live forever. Adam, a perfect mortal man, living in a perfect environment without sin and sickness, having had his pleasure, food that had life-giving properties, could live forever. But when mankind sinned, God removed Adam and Eve from the garden. God drove them out of the garden. Why? Why did God drive them out of the garden? The Bible tells us. Look with me at Genesis chapter 3. Turn over a chapter to Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Look, the humans have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life, and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had made. And after sending them out, the Lord stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden. He placed a flaming sword, that, a sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Listen to what the Bible says God did. God loved you and I so much. He loved mankind so much. God refused. The reason he banished man out of the Garden of Eden, he refused for mankind to be able to live forever in a sinful state. See, because they could eat of the tree of life. Now all of a sudden they're separated from God. Sin has entered and they would have gotten to the tree of life and God said, I don't want them to live forever in a sinful state. I love them too much to be harassed forever by the the devil. I love them too much to be tormented and to made sick forever by the devil. God loved mankind so much, He didn't want us to live in eternity in a sinful, separated state. I'm often asked this question, Why didn't God let them eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? There's only one tree they couldn't eat of. And that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why did God not allow them to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? He let them eat of the tree of life that gave them eternal life. Why didn't He let them eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, let me answer that question with a question. What knowledge would they have gained from eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? What knowledge would they have gained? What knowledge would they have gained? The truth of the matter is, 
The truth of the matter is, the only knowledge that man gained by eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the knowledge of evil. Was the knowledge of evil. God loved man so much, He never wanted mankind to experience evil or even have knowledge of evil. Listen, Adam had it good. It don't get no good than, but it don't get no gooder. Y'all know that's a word in Tennessee, don't you? It doesn't get any gooder than perfect. It doesn't get any gooder than perfect. He had a perfect body, lived in a perfect place, ate perfect food, served a perfect God, married to a perfect woman. It don't get no gooder than that. As we say down here in the South, it don't get no gooder than that. So what knowledge of good could he have gained? None. The only knowledge that he gained by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was evil. And listen, God loved man so much, he didn't want us to know about evil. He didn't want us to experience evil, and he didn't even want us to know about evil. Just as today, just as today, the boundaries that God has established for us for healthy living are not to prohibit us from enjoyment, but to keep us from destruction. There's some things in the Bible, the Bible says you shouldn't do. I know the world will say we are haters. The world tells people there's some lifestyles that are not acceptable to God. And the world will say, well, you're a hater. No, those boundaries have been established by God to keep us from destruction. Not to prevent us from enjoyment. Not to prevent us from being blessed or having fun, but to keep us from destruction. Just like God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? It kept, God didn't want mankind to ever experience evil. Everybody with me? So what was the first curse when man sinned? Verse 6, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. At that moment, their eyes opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Number one, when Adam and Eve sinned, their nakedness exposed their defenselessness. Defenselessness. Just as we put ourselves at risk without being properly clothed, going out in the winter weather. Now, not so much today, but a couple of weeks ago when it got down to 18 degrees, if you went outside with short sleeves and short pants, you're probably going to expose yourself to danger. Just like that, in the natural, if we live daily in a sin-cursed world, without proper spiritual clothing, we put ourselves at risk. We put ourselves at risk. Where there is a lack of defense, there is the presence of fear. When you have no defense, there's a presence of fear. Man never experienced fear. Man didn't know what fear was. In fact, we are introduced to fear when man sinned. He said, I was afraid. First time fear is ever introduced in the Bible. Genesis chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. Then the Lord God called to man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden. So I hid. I was afraid. 
I was afraid. I became fearful. Man was not created in an fearful environment. Sin brought fear in. From going from a place where fear is not even in the vocabulary to now in 2017, scholars tell us that there are 530 documented phobias. Fears. 530. Adam and Eve didn't ha- were born or were created in an environment where there were none. Fear was not even a word in the vocabulary. They sinned, fear came in. And now in 2017, there are 530 documented fears and it's growing annually. The list is growing annually. Yet God created man in an environment without fear. Here's some of them. I, just, I was reading through the list this week. And here's some of them. Trypanophobia. The fear of needles. How many of you have ever experienced that fear? Trypanophobia. The fear of needles. I had to go to the doctor this week for something. He brought out a needle. I said, oh, I got trypanophobia. <laughs> here's one. Metastheosophobia. Some of you folks have this one. The fear of change. Here's another one. Now you see actual fears. Actual fears. Globophobia. The fear of balloons. Globophobia. Here's one. I love this one. Podophobia. The fear of feet. And then it's sister. Stinkophobia. The fear of feet stinking. Now that stinkophobia, I just threw that in there. That's not a doc. That's a documented fear at our house. Anybody else that's a documented fear at your house? Stinkophobia. If you have teenage boys, stinkophobia is a fear at your house. Compoundophobia, the fear of buttons. It's a real fear, documented fear that people have to seek counsel for. Compoundophobia. Op. Ophalophobia, the fear of belly buttons. I don't know if that's an Audi or an Innie that you're fearful of. But there is the fear. People have to seek treatment over the fear of belly buttons. Jurassophobia, the fear of getting old. The fear of getting old. Ergophobia, a lot of millennials have this, the fear of work. Ergophobia. And then panophobia, the fear of everything. 530 documented fears that mankind now lives with when at one time mankind was created by God and placed in an environment by God where fear wasn't even in the vocabulary. Man didn't, God never wanted mankind to experience sin. God never wanted mankind to experience sickness. God never wanted mankind to experience fear. But because of man's disobedience, the door to all these things opened up. And today, Satan hopes we leave our house daily spiritually naked, but Jesus desires that we leave our house dressed to kill. You decide. You decide. Look with me back at Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10. 
Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10. Notice what the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul says. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on. Everybody say, put on. Put on the whole armor of God. Now, understand, the Apostle Paul spent several years in a Roman jail. Daily, he was guarded by Roman soldiers. The Bible tells us he led some of, some of them to the Lord. Paul understood that Roman soldiers were highly dependent upon their uniform and their equipment. And it's Paul's experience with these guys and watching what they wore and talking to them about their equipment and about their uniform. It's that illustration that Paul uses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he writes Ephesians chapter 6 verse number 10. The Roman soldier's personal weapons and uniform were the most important part of him being a soldier. Verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 6, put on the whole armor of God. Everybody say, put on again. Now that that phrase, put on, literally is written in the imperative tense in the Greek. The imperative tense in the Greek was not a tone of suggestion. It wasn't... Paul's not saying, hey, you might want to try this. If it, this, this other didn't work, you might want to try this. That's, it's not a tone of suggestion. That's not what Paul is saying. The imperative tense is the strongest tone available in the Greek language. Paul is commanding with great urgency to take immediate action. It's a command from a military high-ranking official to a soldier telling them, do this. What's he saying? Put on the armor of God. It's not, a, it's not a suggestion. Hey, listen, you might want to put it on every once in a while. No, he's saying, put it on. If you want to protect yourself and be ready for battle every single day, put on the armor of God. And here's something that many of us have missed. And because we've missed it out of this passage, we get beat up every day by the devil. We haven't seen it. Have you ever promised to not do something or not fall in a trap again? And then you give in to that temptation the next time it happens. Many of us, this happens. We don't set out to fail. We have every intention of overcoming. We've made up our mind. That addiction, that temptation is not going to win the next time it comes after us. But then you find yourself again and again beaten and defeated by that same old thing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 11. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. Now here's where we missed it. Notice what it says. Put on the whole armor of God. God is the source and the originator of this armor. This verse can easily be translated like this. Listen to it. Put on the armor that comes from God. We fail repeatedly, not because of a lack of effort to overcome, but because we're using natural weapons with limited power against a trained evil spiritual force. 
You say, I'm going to overcome this thing. I'm going to overcome this thing. I'm going to overcome this thing. And you, you're using your own weapons. Willpower. And willpower is good. And willpower is important. And intestinal fortitude is, is good. And we'll say things like this. It's time you got to man up. you got to man up. you got to man up. you got to suck it up. you got to be tough. you got to overcome this thing. And we'll get ourselves psyched up and all pumped up. And we'll say, we're going to overcome this. It's not going to beat me next time. God, I'm not going to fail to this again. I'm not going to give in to this jealousy. I'm not going to give in to this lust. I'm not going to give in to that addiction. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to overcome it with everything that's in me. God, if you'll forgive me, I'm going to overcome it next time. It's not going to defeat me. And we have every intention of overcoming it because we're using our armor. The Bible doesn't say put on your armor. It says put on the armor that comes from God. It's God's armor that helps us overcome. And you say, what is the armor of God? We're not talking about another new teaching. We're not talking about John Bevere's latest book. We're not talking about Joyce Meyer's latest podcast. John Bevere's a great author, and Joyce Meyer's is fantastic. But we're not talking about some little nugget or some formula. Because this weaponry, the armor of God, has its origination in God. It is vital for us to remain in unbroken fellowship with God for us to receive the protection and the power of the armor. How many times have you heard some a teaching on the armor of God? How many times have you heard a teaching on the armor of God? If you've been raised in church, you've heard a teaching on the armor of God. The helmet of salvation. The breastplate of righteousness. Feet shod with the preparation of gospel peace. Your belt of truth. The sword of the Spirit. Uh, the shield of faith. We hear this teaching. If you're not careful, you get so caught up in all of this armor. Well, I've got to put my breastplate on. I've got to put my helmet on. I've got to put my, my shoes on. I've got to put my, my, have my sword on. I've got to have the, the belt on. And you get so caught up in all of that. And you say, well, I need a principle for this. And I need to read a book on this. But if we're in fellowship with the Lord, and if our fellowship with the Lord is intact, Our power source is also intact. The armor is ours by virtue of our relationship with God. Not because you've read the latest spiritual book. Listen to me. Our unbroken, ongoing relationship with God is our absolute guarantee that we are constantly dressed in the whole armor of God. Let me, let, me, let me read a verse. Romans chapter 13, verse 14. Romans chapter 13, verse 14. Clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the armor of God? He says, put on the armor of God. Put on the armor. Well, what is it? What is it? What is it? Well, it says it here, Pastor. Here's what it is. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. Here's what it is. Here's the armor. I know what that answer to that question, Pastor. Ephesians 6, 14. Stand therefore, having your way, you girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So every morning you're thinking, I get up, I've got to put on my breastplate of righteousness. Gotta, and you quote a scripture. And every morning I get up, I've got to put on the helmet of salvation, you quote a scripture. And then the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel piece. I got to quote a scripture. And the belt of truth, I got to quote a scripture. And I'm going to tell you, that's, I, I, I appreciate that and I love all of that, but I get tired doing all that. I get tired doing all that. Is the armor that tough? No. Do you know the armor is simply an unbroken relationship 
with Jesus Christ. If I live in an unbroken, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, I am equipped with the armor of God. Because who is righteousness? Jesus is righteous. Who is, have your feet shod with the shoes of peace? Who is the Prince of Peace? Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Who is the belt of truth? Who is truth? Jesus is truth. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Who is the Word of God? Jesus is the Word of God. Who is salvation? Jesus is salvation. If I have an intimate, unbroken relationship with Jesus, I am equipped with the armor of God. <laughs> I, uh, I, I like that, them, that movie, uh, Iron Man. Anybody ever seen the movie Iron Man? Amanda likes him superheroes. She likes Captain America. She, she, she likes Captain America. I came into the house the other day and I hollered out, Captain America's home! <laughs> she hollered back, Get the clothes out of the dryer, Snoopy! And, that, and we went on down the road. Y'all seen Iron Man? You seen that movie? What's that guy's name? Oh, yeah, y'all have seen it. Robert Downey Jr.? I don't know what he does, but he gets in a critical situation, a crisis situation, and all of a sudden, cling, his hands and things come on his hands, they come around his feet, and they come around, and that thing comes down over his head. And this mortal man is suddenly an iron man, and that thing shoots him off. Do you know, if you're in an unbroken relationship with Jesus, when temptation and test and challenges come your way, you'll be standing there, and all of a sudden, boom! Your feet are shod with the preparation of gospel of peace. You have the belt of truth. The helmet of salvation comes down over your head. The shield of faith jumps up there. And all of a sudden, you're ready to take the devil on. And you don't have to say, Well, let me go get the belt of truth. Let me remember this scripture. Oh, oh, oh my sh- where's my shoes? Where's my shoes? Oh, my God. Where's my shoes? Where's my shoes? Where's my shoes? No, it's an unbroken relationship with Jesus. It just comes on you. And you have the armor of God. See, that's why it's so important to have an intimate, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. It's to protect us every single day in a sin-cursed world so we don't leave naked. Let me close with this. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against... Everybody say against. This word against is very unique. In the original language, it means forward-facing. Forward-facing. It literally means a face-to-face encounter. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses this specific terminology, portraying a soldier who is looking his enemy directly in the face, eyeball to eyeball. Some of you, some of us, Satan has just so beat us up that we cower in fear. 
We live in shame of our past. We live in dread of tomorrow because we've been defeated so many times. And that's not the way the Lord wants His children to live. He wants your shoulders back and your head up. Equipped with the armor of God and looking the devil square in the eye. When you and I are suited up in the armor that comes from God, living in unbroken fellowship with Christ, rather than shudder at what the devil can do to us, we are in a super powerful position to make the devil shudder and tremble at the thought of what we can do to him. Some of you have Jesus on the inside of you, but you're not suiting up with him every single day. You're born again. You've asked Jesus to come into your heart. You're saved. And if you were to die right now, you would go straight to heaven. No doubt about it. You know it. I know it. Family knows it. But you're living a defeated Christian life every day. Satan keeps tempting you and you keep falling. You keep asking forgiveness and God keeps forgiving you. But the next week, you fall again. And it's just a reoccurring cycle. And you live condemned and you live defeated all the time. To the point now, you just don't think you can overcome. And you've tried everything in your power. And you've made every promise. And you're doing everything you know to do. And all you have to just relax and just get in fellowship with Jesus. Get in fellowship with Jesus. Just have a vibrant, ongoing relationship with Him. Spend a little time with Him every day. Get your heart refreshed. Get your mind renewed with a little scripture. Every day, just grow in your relationship with the Lord. Put on His presence every single day. You say, Pastor, how do I do that? It's just as simple. Before you get out of the house every morning, take five minutes, take ten minutes, and, and just sit down and say, Lord Jesus, I just want to put you on today. I want to put on your peace. I want to put on your joy. I want to put on your love. I want to put on your protection. Just come and fill my life. Cover my life today. Just put Him, His presence on every day. Just like you would put your shirt on. Just like you would put your jacket on. Just like you'd put your shoes on. Just take a moment. You don't, you don't take a shower and then run out of the house. You take a moment. You sit down. You put your shoes on. You get in your closet. You put your jacket on. Well, just take a moment. And every single day before you leave your house, just take a moment and say, Lord Jesus, I want to put you on today. Your presence is going to guide me. Your spirit is going to lead me. Your angels are going to protect me. Your word is going to sustain me. I just put you on today. And I guarantee you when you do that, when temptations and tests and traps come your way, all of a sudden, it's going to come on you like it comes on Robert Downey Jr. And you can take on the biggest devil in the world because you are suited up with the armor of God. Thank you for listening to The Simple Truth with Pastor Eddie Turner. Please join us at Family Worship Center, 3045 Memorial Boulevard, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, when you are in the Middle Tennessee area. You can also learn more about FWC at our website, www.familywc.com. Thank you again for listening to The Simple Truth.